Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather together in your name. Lord God, even though we cannot do it physically, Lord, through the miracle of uh, the internet, we do so virtually. And uh, Lord God, we pray as we gather together, as we look at your word, as we pay attention to what you have to say to this uh, fellowship in Bewbush, uh, we pray that uh, our ears and eyes and minds will be opened, that our heart will receive your word, and Lord God, that it would change us. Heavenly Father, this is not infotainment, this is not entertainment, uh, Lord God, but this is something from you to us. Uh, Lord God, and I pray that you would uh, get rid of the stuff that I've prepared that is not of you, and Lord God, awaken the stuff that I say uh, so that it reverberates in our hearts and minds. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. A few more have already uh, uh, joined the stream. Um, so uh, uh, let's go ahead. So um, what's widely regarded as one of the best ever fiction books ever written is uh, um, sort of commonly known as Don Quixote. Uh, it was written for over 400 years ago, which I always find uh, absolutely incredible, because even though it's really old, it's still really funny. Uh, even though it was originally written... Uh, 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 not in English, it translates really well. Um, and it tells of this middle-aged man. He's, he, he's approaching uh, 50 um, and he is, becomes utterly immersed in the stories of knights and the stories of chivalry. You know, like uh, King, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, that sort of thing. Anyway, he goes sort of half mad because he's so immersed in it and he tries to recreate these stories um, in his own uh, time. And uh, so I'm going to do a bit of reading uh, from this. Uh, I find it very funny. Um, and you can see what you think. It says this. Don Quixote had reached the point in his song to which the Duke and Duchess, Altisidora, and almost all the other people in the castle were listening. So Don Quixote is being entertained in this large house um, and everyone's laughing at him, basically. The hosts are going to play a joke on him and and, and uh, Don Quixote mid-song is interrupted. Suddenly from a balcony immediately above his window a rope with more than a hundred goat bells tied to it was let down and then a great sack full of cats with smaller bells tied to their tails was emptied after it. Sorry, Barbara, for the uh, cat abuse, but here it goes. The clanking of the goat bells and the screeching of the cats made such a din that although the Duke and Duchess had concocted the joke, it scared even them, and Don Quixote was flabbergasted with fear. And as luck would have it, two or three of the cats scrambled in through the grill, and as they raced round his room, it seemed as if the whole legion of devils was in there. They extinguished all the candles that were burning in the room as they charged about, searching for a way out. The bell rope was being shaken up and down all the while. Most of the people in the castle who didn't know what was happening were bemused and astonished. Don Quixote sprang to his feet, drew his sword and began to make thrust with it through the grill and to cry, Away with you enchanters, away with you, you rabble of sorcerers, for I am Don Quixote de la Mancha, against whom all your wicked aspirations are powerless. And turning to face the cats that were rushing to and fro in his room, he slashed at them again and again, and they raced over to the grill and clambered out. But one of them, hard pressed by Don Quixote's sword, hurled itself at his face and clung to his nose with his claws and its teeth, the pain of which made him cry out aloud as he could. 
When the Duke and Duchess heard him, they guessed what was happening and rushed to his room. And when they unlocked the door uh, with their master key, they found the poor knight struggling with all his strength to tear the cat off. They ran in with their candles aloft and saw the prodigious battle. The Duke moved in to break it up, but Don Quixote yelled, No, nobody must pull him off. Let me fight hand to hand with this devil, and I will show him what Don Quixote de la Mancha is made of. But the cat disregarded these threats and clang on snarling. The Duke finally pulled it off and threw it out the window. Don Quixote was left with a face riddled with holes and a less than perfect nose. So that's the st uh, one of the adventures of Don Quixote, who is a uh, sort of uh, half mad. Um, and in this moment, so Don Quixote's singing this great epic song and then he's interrupted by this uh, practical joke and these cats with bells tied to them sort of tear into his uh, room and uh, they intrude on this quest that he is going on. And he instantly sees these cats, not as just domestic pets, but he sees them as uh, hateful demons. That, that's the instant thing that he, uh, um, he sees. Yeah, I found it a bit echoey. Um, I just see that sort of comment from, uh, um, uh, from Tim. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Too, not too much. Okay. Thanks Ruth. Well, I'm going to crack on because I tried to find, diagnose the problem earlier and, uh, I couldn't, um, just wonder if I can close an app or something. Um, and that one, um, so, sorry for the tech, but we'll sort of uh, carry on because I'm on a roll. Um, and so uh, Don Quixote sees these cats as demons, and that's the instant thing um, that uh, um, uh, comes to his mind. Um, and it's very common, I think, uh, in the modern mind for much of spirituality, much of the things that we talk about, things like... Uh, things like morality and prayer uh, to be dismissed as kind of unhinged madness. You know, these are things you're sort of making up in your own mind. And, and I think this is probably most true. Like you can talk to God uh, with some people and they will tolerate the conversation. Uh, but if you talk about devils and demons, people start to get very uncomfortable indeed. It becomes really easy uh, for believers. You know, we who want to uh, present the good news of Jesus in a logical and sensible way, in a, in a way that, uh, that appeals to the modern mind, it's really easy to um, ensure that like the phenomenon of uh, the devil and demons are kind of forgotten. You know, we don't mention them too much and and we, we may even just sort of deny they exist as well and that's a, as a very common uh, theological position um, and uh, I don't know about you but this tendency to sort of push to one side talk of devils and demons uh, can be heightened when you come across uh, excitable believers you know the ones that love conspiracy theories the one that loves uh, sort of uh, endless end times uh, predictions um, and these are often the sorts that uh, love almost evil spirits and you know they seen them behind every corner um, and they sort of claim it's the devil behind every inconvenience every sickness and every setback and there is this just a tribute and it's a bit like Don Quixote you know something goes wrong oh, it must be demons and I must fight them and so the uh, 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 
uh, the sort of uh, more level-headed Christian can sometimes kind of withdraw that and go, you know what, we're just not going to mention those as frequently as you seem to love to. Um, so others, I think, talk about uh, devils and demons a little too much. But I probably personally fall into a category who probably don't talk about them enough. You know, uh, uh, they are certainly frequent um, in the Gospels and uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, but I tend to sort of shy away from the subject. Um, and because I, I worry that if I start talking about devils and demons before they even hear about Jesus, they'll just write me off as some sort of Don Quixote uh, uh, mad person. And uh, so today is my effort to kind of remedy that situation, just to correct that obvious imbalance in, in the teaching uh, that we get in Viewbush. Now, right at the beginning, um, it, it's good to get a setting here. Right at the beginning of scripture, we are given a picture of the planet Earth. We are given a picture um, that it has neither order nor content. You know, it's chaotic and formless. And there's a... Um, an eternal and omnipotent God who brings in sort of the rhythm of uh, uh, days of sunlight and darkness and the rhythm and abundance, you know, life. Um, and, uh, and, and so this chaotic, empty world is, is, is suddenly uh, uh, sort of brought all sorts of uh, life and order. And then paradise is established um, and humanity is taken and put in the middle of it, you know, and and humanity, Adam and Eve are put there to uh, care for it, to minister to it, to to use it for uh, their delight and for its good. And then it's very strange. And um, if you read it as a non-Christian, as someone not steeped in uh, sort of uh, uh, Christian thought, there is this talking snake. Nothing more is said about it. It's just an animal that's supposed to be more crafted than the others, that seems to uh, walk on legs, um, and it comes in. And the snake speaks, which um, I've never encountered in any animal before. And the animal speaks, um, and this goodness and order and rhythm that was established is suddenly detracted from suddenly uh, disorder and chaos rise amidst something that uh, was being brought to order and rhythm. And as you continue to read through the Old Testament, it becomes apparent um, that this talking snake, which very little is said beyond that, um, it seems that we should identify this snake with a particular spiritual being. It's not explicit in the text, but it, it comes to mind as you read on that one is the other and vice versa. And most conspicuously um, in the story of Job, which may have been the, the very first book of the Bible actually sort of uh, uh, written down. Um, in that, uh, we find there's this spiritual being that, that sort of comes into God's presence and sort of questions and undermines and derides God. You know, he seems to be there to take away from what God has done. And um, there's not as much in the Bible as you would think from all the sermons and lectures and uh, articles written about this spiritual being. Uh, but there is something, and, and uh, I just want to read a very brief summary of the kind of a biblical uh, um, sort of wisdom on this spiritual being um, that sort of uh, seems to be identified with this snake. 
So it says this, and it's a very short passage um, in uh, Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. And it says this, Satan appears in scripture as the recognised head of the fallen angels. He was originally, it would seem, one of the mightiest princes of the angelic world and became the leader of those that revolted and fell away from God. The name Satan points to him as the adversary, not in the, place, not, not in the first place of man, but he is an adversary of God. He attacks Adam as the crown of God's handiwork, works destruction, and is therefore called Apollyon, the destroyer. He assaults Jesus when he undertakes the work of restoration. After the entrance of sin into the world, he becomes Diabolos, the accuser, for he accuses the people of God continually. And there's various scripture references there. He is represented in scripture as the originator of sin and appears as the recognised head of all those that fell away. He remains the leader of the angelic hosts, which he carried with him in his fall, and employs them in desperate resistance to Christ and his kingdom. And uh, in those few words, we have a, a very brief summary of the picture of Satan. Uh, a lot more uh, has been written, but often it's speculation and spurious sort of logical inference. And uh, in sort of Burkhoff's words, we kind of drill down to the bare essentials of, of what we know about the devil. Now, we may shy away from talks of devils and demons, especially our enlightened age. But actually, the devil is crucial to the whole narrative and grand scheme of scripture. If you admit Satan from the Bible, from Christianity, from our faith, much of our discipline, much of our morality, much of our faith, um, it becomes sort of a self-help and pop psychology, you know, or we're just trying to improve ourselves or, or get better. And uh, uh, we're not brought to the uh, stark reality of a spiritual battle that the Bible sort of elevates as the central theme. Um, I mean, some of the in incredible imagery in Revelation is all about this uh, rivalry of uh, Satan's alternative worldview uh, to God's. And so our Bible makes clear that ever since the fall, humanity has been like collateral damage in these fallen angels' attempts to assert themselves against God. We are kind of caught in the crossfires as the devil tries to undo what God has done, to try and sort of assert himself. Amongst all the other proofs of our faith, you know, the, 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 the logical statements, the historical moments, um, all the times that something supernatural has occurred, I find it particularly compelling um, that everyone knows some sort of good that they should do. Everyone knows that there are things in their lives that they should be um, doing with their time, with their efforts, with their money. But we so often 
so frequently fail to do it. Even if you do not care about God, even if the devil is not on your mind, even if faith is something uh, that you would ridicule. This idea of having a good that you uh, know of, but you reject, is, is, seems to me symptomatic of this worldview. You know, if there was no heaven or hell, no good or evil, then why is this phenomenon where we are all struck by the idea of doing good, of being generous, of being helpful, of giving away? And so often we know what we should do, but we do the opposite. Instead of being peaceful and gentle, we get angry and wrathful. Instead of being generous, we are stingy. Um, instead of being deliberate with our uh, speech, uh, we fill it full of obscenities. Instead of watching healthy stuff that will encourage us, we watch stuff that agitates us. Our wrestling, this moral insanity um, that we have, only makes sense when the story of a good God and a rebel devil is allowed in. So let's now read uh, the passage for uh, this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. You might have guessed from my preamble, but um, we're just going to read uh, the first ver 13 verses, I think, at the start. So this is Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of, his, of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Um, I wonder uh, how you've dealt with that. Because that is a uh, very strange story uh, for our ears. If anyone else is having a problem with the connection, uh, uh, please let us know. Um, the Ethernet cable's in and, and my end seems okay. Um, I don't want to uh, sort of carry on if no one's listening. But it looks like it's all right for most. So Jesus sails across the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's a, a journey that would take a, a couple of hours um, in a first century fishing boat. So it sort of uh, come across uh, the lake. And he lands uh, near the town of Gerasera. 
uh, and uh, there, there's a town uh, um, that is about where we think Jesus uh, landed today. Um, and uh, there is a steep beach, um, and there are just inland, um, even today, various uh, cavern tombs inland where um, people were sort of buried. And uh, so in this setting, a man comes towards Jesus. Now, initially, Mark says he is plagued by an evil spirit. Um, but it quickly becomes apparent there is a, actually a plurality of evil spirits. Um, and if you look at this sort of long picture of scripture, um, it seems that these are the very same spiritual beings that the devil is the head of um, that fell uh, from God's presence. Uh, before humanity sinned, uh, these guys had um, sort of rejected God's sovereignty. Um, and uh, they are constantly rebelling against God in their vanity, pride and greed. Um, and, and try and, and do the same for humanity. Now, normally, and uh, we have this sort of previously through scripture, normally these spiritual beings, these evil spirits, these entities, these uh, merely whisper and deceive people, you know, uh, they seem to spiritually enact with humanity who are also spiritual and they seem to be able to distort things. Um, but we see here that apparently these spiritual beings who we are used to sort of acting upon us, it seems here we have these spiritual beings possessing someone. They're taking hold of this person uh, and they're even driving their words and their actions. They, are, uh, uh, um, they, they seem to have taken hold of this person so they almost have nothing to do themselves. Um, and so this possessed man... Uh, lives amongst, <laughs> um, just seeing sort of Pete's comment, which is good that something's working. Um, this possessed man lives um, amongst these tombs um, and he seems to have this uh, diabolical strength. He seems to have this strength that means that even their sort of crude uh, chains uh, can't hold him. Uh, and he didn't know the rhythms of sleep. Remember the rhythm of day and night that God brought to earth? Well, uh, this guy doesn't know the rhythms of normal human activity. Uh, he's awake in the night uh, as well as the day. And he doesn't know uh, the wisdom of peacefulness. You know, he shouts at the top of his voice. Uh, you can sort of look at him and go, you know, there's something different about this guy. And he seems to have harmed himself, you know, cut himself. There is this uh, injury there. And uh, he's been uh, treated harshly by his community. They can't deal with this uh, sort of uh, guy and his raging possession. Um, and they've sort of ostracized him and he now lives outside conventional society, he lives among the tomb, amongst the dead. Um, and we find here, as we would expect, these demons working to undo the image of God in this poor guy. It is heartbreaking to see. It is heartbreaking to read about. You can only have compassion for him as you see this. He is obviously not in control. And Jesus, thankfully, is immediately struck by compassion for this guy. He's struck by compassion for a man that is obviously in a bad way. And Jesus, uh, before the other guy speaks, he says, you know, you, you evil spirit, come out of him. 
And uh, Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God. He is announcing the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. You know, he brings healings and miracles and wholeness. And in this guy's uh, example, um, there is exorcism. There is an expectancy of freedom from these demons. And this tortured soul falls on his knees before this authoritative rabbi, you know, this religious leader uh, with his uh, following of disciples. And he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus in a way that perhaps a lot of the other uh, normal folk don't. He realizes that this is God incarnate. He uses this phrase, son of the most high God. This is a high understanding of Jesus. These demons see that Jesus is more than just a man, more than just a wise teacher, more than just a guru. He is the son of God. And the demons follow this high view of Jesus with mind your own business. Leave us alone. Now. Jesus is confronted by a demon that is replying back to him and uh, um, sort of it, and seems to be outrageous in his replies. Jesus is aware that he's being watched. And in fact, he's probably aware that this will be a story that is told again and again. And so Jesus says, give me your name. And. Uh, now, some suggest that this asking for a name is a very important um, element in exorcisms to freeing the, 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 the troubled people. You know, you've got to know who you're dealing with. You've got to name it uh, and uh, uh, be able to cast out uh, whatever demon it is because they are cunning. Uh, I don't subscribe to that. The de the, these evil spirits here. They reply that they are to be known as Roman Legion, as a vast army of demons. Um, they, are, they are many. So we find here, Jesus says, what is your name? And he goes, well, just call us Roman Legion. Just call us many, for we are just filling up this guy. We are strong and mighty and uh, uh, we are going to protest the kingdom of God coming in this guy's uh, life. And Jesus asked the name not because it helps him somehow have strength over this demon or these demons. It was to show everyone else the uh, magnitude of the situation. This man was in the worst of circumstances. He was overcome by a multitude of evil spirits. He was powerfully imprisoned. This guy, not only were his sleeplessness and his rantings and his cutting signs of it, the, out of his own mouth he is testifying, I am in trouble. And uh, so Jesus' request for a name allows everyone to suddenly hear, this is a big deal. This guy is really under trouble. Now, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, already people are sort of wondering, aren't you? You're wondering what the relationship between uh, this moment in the Bible and today. You are wondering about our current society's focus on mental illness and mental wellness. And what are we to do to, com uh, to bring the same? Um, because I think there is a difference. 
Um, so I would suggest that evil spirits exist today. They existed in Jesus's time and the kingdom of God is still advancing and there are still evil spirits protesting that advancement. And so, uh, though it may sound weird to the modern mind, we would recognize evil spirits today. Now, mostly evil spirit activity is uh, sort of the uh, regular sort of temptations and lies and whispers into our spirits um, that are common to all people. You know, don't need to go to church and just lie in bed and be a Christian from home. Or, you know, what? it doesn't matter if I'm uh, 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 not good in this way or if I swear in that way or if I watch this or I do this with my body rather than that. And even Jesus had that. So even Jesus had an assault uh, uh, from an evil spirit, from the, from the devil himself, uh, by all accounts. So uh, uh, we would recognize that evil spirit activity still happens. Any way to undo what God is doing is evil spirit uh, activity. Um, however, sometimes this evil spirit activity, even today, can be acutely pronounced and, and and so we're talking or I'm talking in the sense of sort of possession and being uh, demonized um, and in those cases I suggest it is really important that the uh, spirit's gift of discernment uh, is needed because you need to identify whether someone really is struggling with this or whether it's something else I think there is a distinction between uh, or there can be a difference between sort of mental health problems, physical problems and actual demon possession. I think uh, if, uh, if you've ever sort of uh, uh, been sort of grumpy in the morning from a late night, you know our bodies can affect how we think. And, and, and uh, I think uh, it has been sort of uh, medical science has established well that, that, that um, our health can affect our minds. And sometimes we think it's a spiritual issue when really we should just be eating healthy and exercising and getting out and uh, uh, um, sort of fellowshipping and, uh, uh, and that sort of thing. So there is a there is a difference. And so you need discernment and wisdom rather than to say um, every sort of mental health. Uh, uh, issue is uh, demonic because I don't think that's true. We have issues in the past where it's someone who has mental health issues has been accused of being sort of demonized and it has ended uh, badly and, and the, the leaders have had to step in and, and, and try and sort of correct this very simplistic thinking. Um, that you know what just uh, um, someone that's mentally all they need is a sort of exorcism. And so we need to be careful. We need to be wise. Uh, and uh, we, we need to have the sort of Holy Spirit's insight. Um, and I would also say that I think if you have uh, confessed Jesus as Christ and Lord, if you are a Christian, that the Holy Spirit has entered your heart, I don't think you can be possessed or demonized. I don't think the Holy Spirit kind of uh, uh, gives over the heart to uh, an evil spirit once uh, Jesus is Lord of that life and uh, so there are lots of things out there dear which become arguable that this is my position and, and this is generally the position of our uh, our fellowship um, 
Now, sometimes a non-believer can be sort of acutely plagued by evil spirits and and uh, then this uh, grand sounding exorcism uh, might be needed. But I suggest that it does not require any formula. It doesn't require the faith of the victim. Um, so this uh, person troubled in this case had no faith, did not ask to be freed, uh, but Jesus had compassion and brought the kingdom of God into their life. Um, and there were no props, you know, no holy water, no bells or whistles or incantations. Um, and I simply suggest that I think a, a mature believer, someone who is confident and familiar with his saviour, can hope to bring peace to someone that is suffering with demonic activity by a simple command because Jesus is Lord and you don't need to have an elaborate scheme to bring the kingdom of God into someone that is troubled. Um, one further thing and, and obviously all sorts of other questions bubble up as, as I, I talk. Um, in the Gospels physical sickness um, and evil spirits are, are spoken about um, in the same uh, way you know um, they're they're often sort of uh, uh, equivalent um, in a lot of things you know they come with sickness and with evil spirits and, and Jesus sort of expels the spirits and, and brings healing um, and frequently the hardship being endured is not a judgment for sin you know the, the person uh, with the sickness and the person with the evil spirit isn't because they messed around with a Ouija board or they're parents were satanists or but it was an opportunity for god to move and so we have to be careful how we think about these things because i think there is a lot of christian myth that we build on demon possession uh and evil spirit activity that somehow gets out of hand and before we know it we think uh uh in a way that is unbiblical that um is unscriptural um Anyway, so Jesus asks your name and the demons reply, we are legion. And uh, that's kind of like a theatrical rolling out of the sleeve. Jesus says, you see, this is a big deal. Something is going down. You are about to see a big match. Um, and uh, it just sort of gives us a glimpse of the uh, magnitude of Jesus's authority. And so uh, this multitude of demons sort of realise that the Messiah is rolling up his sleeves uh, and uh, they beg not to face their final judgment um, and they beg to be released into a herd of swine nearby. And uh, the sort of 21st century mind will be like, what? What is going on? I can barely believe in evil spirits and now you're saying that they can go into animals? Well, uh, just a, a quick thought, you know, this is on um, the other side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. Of Galilee. Um, this is no longer the sort of Jewish land of Israel, um, because in Israel there wouldn't be um, swine herders because uh, 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 pigs weren't sort of eaten and, and they were sort of uh, uh, thought of as unclean. Um, and, and they were sort of uh, uh, religiously sort of uh, expelled. Um, however, on this side of the Sea of Galilee, there were the Gentiles lived and they certainly would have had pigs and pig farming was certainly an acceptable pastime. Uh, and so that's why you have pigs, um, despite sort of Jesus being a Jew. And then Mark tells us something even stranger. If you think things are wild, Jesus then says, 
Uh, he, Jesus approves the devil's uh, request. These legion of demons go and possess the pigs. And you're like, what is going on? Jesus is being generous to demons? And it just seems wilder and wilder. And then, and then perhaps, you know, this is all a little fantasy and we should regard this as a parable. But the thing is, things suddenly become a little clearer after this strangeness happens. Because the animals run down and they drown in the sea. And they're like, well, Kevin, that, just, that doesn't help, does it? But the thing is, the number of pigs is about a thousand. So we are again shown that there is a huge amount of demonic activity here. Jesus is coming against a massive legion of evil spirits and he is still king, he is still master, he is still in control. Um, and the fact that these pigs die uh, uh, give us this picture that these are evil spirits, that they are looking to undo life. They are looking to come against all that God does. They are uh, vain and greedy and proud and they do and they are enemies of God. And this means the destruction of life. The sea that they run into, uh, the sea is often a picture of earthly rebellion. It's often a picture of danger and chaos. In the book of Revelation, when sort of uh, the, um, the city of God descends down, it says there will be no more sea. Uh, not because there will be no more bodies of land, but because this sea was associated thematically with rebellion uh, and uh, danger and chaos. And, and so the pig's death ends there and, and we find that the kingdom of God, of order, of life, of vitality prevails. And, and in this story that we can find all sorts of difficulties with, it, it should be a, a cause of massive relief for every circumstance of life. No matter how opposed a force might be, no matter how big the force might be that is opposing the kingdom of God, we can be reassured that Jesus has the power and the authority to prevail. And this guy who was just in all sorts of mess, who was just overwhelmed by demonic activity, Jesus comes in and with, a, with just a few words, releases him into health and wellness again. Let's uh, continue reading Matthew chapter 5. Right, so it's 10 past 11. Uh, we've got one page left, so hopefully we can crack on. Mark chapter 5, verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go. Go home to your family and tell them. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, these sort of ten Gentile cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
these swine herders are understandably shocked by what they've seen and heard. You know, if we were eyewitnesses, our jaws would have dropped down. Um, and so in true human fashion, uh, they want to gossip about it. They want to tell about it. They want to put it on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And so they tell this incredible story. Look what we have seen. And they tell it to the people in the towns and they tell it to the people in the countryside. They tell it to the urbanites and they tell it to the country folk. And the people uh, from the cities and the towns and from the villages and from the countryside, they kind of unite in this corporate rubbernecking at the aftermath. Ooh, what happened here? Oh, isn't that shocking? Oh, I don't quite understand what's happened. Um, and they find this Jewish rabbi that they'd heard about. Um, and next to him, shockingly, is the man that they had driven out from Saudi that they all knew well, that couldn't keep his mouth shut, couldn't keep his clothes on, couldn't stop cutting himself, couldn't stop from shouting expletives, who, uh, who was obviously tormented and in just an outrageous state. And uh, this guy that was living in violence and chaos, they find in a very different state now. The transformation is beautiful and clear. Instead of roaming around and restless, Mark tells us he is sitting down peacefully. Instead of naked and incoherent, he is clothed and lucid in his behaviour and speech. The transformation is complete. The destruction and disorder that the demons had brought, that uh, this possibly 2,000 demons in him, uh, had been reversed. God's image of peace, of um, lucidity, of uh, decency had been raised up again. And this demonstration of healing was so decisive that now it's the onlookers, now it's the society that becomes restless and chaotic. You can see them pacing about and mumbling to themselves as they are confronted with the kingdom of God. What manner of man is this? What manner of kingdom is he preaching? What else will be disturbed? The disquiet and fear rises up in their breasts. And uh, the, uh, these thinking sort of spread abroad amongst the crowd. And it boils up and out into this brutal request. Jesus, leave. Jesus, leave our whole region. We can't stand you here. Uh, please leave without going past go, without collecting 200 pounds. We can't have you here. And many of us wonder, but he's just healed this man. He has freed him. How could they not want Jesus? But I'm sad that there is a universal truth that throughout history, when the manifest goodness of God comes, it is not always appreciated. People do not always want God's goodness in their lives. Often the challenge to the status quo bristles. The idea of doing things differently after becoming acclimatised to the current status quo, is irksome. People acclimatise themselves to being selfish. They acclimatise themselves to being idolatries and adulterers, to evil and greed and sin and death. And they don't want to be moved on. 
You know, I am happy in this ditch. I've made my home here. I don't want to go anywhere else. What you are doing, Jesus, is unsettling and unhelpful. And this is why, again and again, Old Testament prophets are come against and even murdered. And this is why Jesus' disciples meet with confrontation. This is why, uh, in the book of Acts, riots happen again and again. It's because the goodness of God just challenges everything. And people become acclimatised to their sin. They get used to it. But the demoniac, or the ex-demoniac, he feels very differently. This Gentile quickly develops a love of Jesus. And he wants to be a proper disciple. He longs to follow this man who has released him. But Jesus says, oh, I've got bigger plans from you than you just following me. He goes, um, you may not have followed me for years. You may not have learned my language and this, that and the other. But I want you now to be my witness in these non-Jewish lands. You know, Jesus had this mission to bring the kingdom of God amongst the Jews particularly. And he's saying, mate, you go off into these Gentile ten cities and you tell your story. If Jesus has saved us too, then the same encouragement applies to us. You don't need to get too worked up that you haven't spent a couple of years in Bible college or with your head uh, in very thick sort of theological books. Go and tell your story. Tell others of the wonders of God in your own life. Your own testimony is powerful. It will uh, confront people because it is unlearned, it is real and it is provable. Each of us, every single one that loves Jesus has a story to tell. All of us have something to say about how God has changed our life, why we do the things that we do. Now, many, uh, while only a few may actually be overtaken by evil spirits, everyone is familiar with the poison that they whisper, with the poison they infect and the poison they spread. We are surrounded by people's lives who have been wrecked by evil spirits leading them astray, leading them to undo God's image, leading them to kill and maim, to abort, to uh, uh, be uh, unfaithful, uh, to lie and cheat and distort God's beautiful order. And when we speak, we show them a way out of that, out of that prison. The devil is real. But he often works, not with the spectacular, not with fireworks and laser shows, but with the subtle temptations and gentle prods towards wickedness. He does that very effectively, even with Christians today. This is why in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul explains that our fight is not with our neighbour who doesn't like Christians. It is not with a political movement that cannot tolerate um, our supposed homophobia. It is not with all sorts of different groups that we would come against. But it is against spiritual forces. And Paul tells us that we just put on the simple armour of God to defeat them. It's not with magical incantations. It is not with sophisticated language. It is not with a complex demonology that we identify what spirits are coming out of which people. 
simple Christian living that uh, the rank and file believers have enjoyed for 2,000 years. I really, really can't finish talking about uh, the devil and the demons without finishing from a passage from C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, uh, The Screwtape Letters. The men's group a good few years ago listened to this as an audio book and uh, we really uh, enjoyed it. If you haven't read The Screwtape Letters, it just uh, uh, it is a, a, a profoundly uh, uh, impactful uh, uh, book. And I just want to read um, uh, a section from it and then we're going to close. Um, True to my word, I've, I've spoken longer um, than I normally do, but I just wanted to use this chance to sort of uh, really hit this subject and uh, perhaps and provoke some thought in your own minds. So uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this um, book, The Screwtape Letters. Um, wow, it's all sorts of upside down, isn't it? Um, and uh, he wrote this book, The Screwtape Letters. Um, and it's the letters of a, a senior tempter to a junior devil. Uh, and it says this. Uh, My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish them to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favour. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes even our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patience sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection in the new building estate. All they see is the barn church in Bubush and they laugh at it. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one little shiny book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. So there's other hymn books. When he gets into his pew and looks around him, he sees just a selection of his neighbours whom he has hitherto avoided. You, might, you want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbours. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side, no matter your patient. Thanks to our father below, the devil is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbours sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. I wonder if you've ever had that sort of looked around at the Christians and sort of said, this isn't my faith, is it? At his present stage, you see, he has an idea of Christians in his mind, which he supposes to be spiritual, but which in fact is largely pictorial. 
His mind is full of togas and sandals, armour and bare legs, and the mere fact that the other people in church wear modern clothes is a real, though of course an unconscious, difficulty to him. Never let it come to the surface. Never let him ask what he expected Christians to look like. Keep everything hazy in his mind now, and you will have all eternity wherein to amuse yourself by producing in, in him the peculiar kind of clarity which hell affords. Work hard then on the disappointment or anti-climax which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as someone who goes to church. The enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human activity, endeavour. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories of the Odyssey when he buckles down to actually learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. The enemy takes this risk because he has a curious fantasy of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls his free lovers. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confront head on the fact that our faith is part of a larger picture of the devil's rebellion against your goodness. Lord God, I pray that you would help us take in the full revelation of Scripture, Scripture that we wouldn't try and to diminish the bits that we don't like or don't settle well with us. Lord God, I pray that our thinking on the devil and the demons, evil spirits, would be clear, that it would be scriptural and it would be helpful. Lord God, I pray that we wouldn't be the type of people uh, that seems a demon eye around every corner and um, uh, causes other people to think us mad but Lord God that we would be able to show that it fits firmly within every person's experience that every person has experienced temptation every experience every person knows what good they should do and keeps doing evil and Lord God I pray particularly for us as we uh, linger in some form of lockdown that we will uh, be aware of the uh, um, sort of the evil spirits uh, attempts to derail us, to minimise our faith, to cause us to pray less, cause us to evangelise less, cause us to praise less, cause us to engage with church less, cause us to avoid Christians, cause us to indulge in, in um, unchristian practices. And uh, Lord God, I pray that, this, uh, that we would increasingly be found in our right minds, that we would increasingly make good decisions and wise choices, and that we would increasingly be helpful to other people. Uh, Lord God, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.